You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. This is your host, Alex Barallo, joined with Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight, bud? Doing well. It's been couple weeks since we've got back on together so glad to be back and it's a big day we've had a lot of news both jets related in the past couple weeks and today the last 24 hours we've had a lot of non-jets uh nfl news and it's been quite a whirlwind on twitter the past couple hours yes absolutely and it's definitely good to be back on the uh radio with you uh last week i took a little uh time off a little r and r and um you know, it's a good point to uh, come back as we're just about to go into the NFL draft combine talk and, and do some other things. Uh, you know, tonight we're going to get into a little talk on the Jets to start the show, and then we're going to go into the NFL combine and talk about some players of interest. And then we have a segment at the end of the show talking about uh free agency scenarios that could alter and affect uh, what type of draft the Jets might be having in the first round, and we'll break down more details into that. But, Dylan, as you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff going in uh, circulating the NFL right now, um, you know, not only within the Jets but outside. And uh, all of these moves and, and information that have gone down over the last 24 hours definitely impact the Jets in some way. So why don't you just go ahead and quickly break down Uh, some of the breaking news that has occurred in the last 24. Yeah, so I think the one that most indirectly affects the Jets would be the first domino, the biggest domino as far as the NFL is concerned, and that's Aaron Rodgers. He signed a tentative deal to return to Green Bay. There's been reports, uh, I believe McAfee was the one that broke the news. I don't know who broke the numbers, but it looks like four years, $200 Uh, Aaron Rodgers said that was false, but that he is returning. So he is returning. We don't know the number yet. We're assuming it's going to reset the market a two-time MVP back-to-back. So, I mean, that's the first domino. And then the second domino, which happened 90 minutes, two hours later, was Russell Wilson being traded from Seattle to the Broncos for a haul of picks, uh, two first-round picks, which include the ninth overall this year, one pick in front of the Jets, um, two second-round picks, a fifth-rounder, and then three players, Drew Locke, Shelby Harrison, Noah Fant. So they got a ton of picks for, for Russell Wilson. And everybody immediately went to Twitter and started saying, oh, Jets need to make a trade. When is the you know Joe Douglas going to start using some of these draft picks? And the name that comes up frequently and has come up before we've talked about him is DK Metcalf. And if the Jets would potentially be able to – you know, get him away from Seattle. It looks like they're going to enter a rebuild. So get him out of there and potentially what a trade could look like for DK Metcalf. And we said on the podcast six weeks ago, we talked about wide receivers, specifically Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf, and Amari Cooper. And news has happened on all three of those, really. Amari Cooper looks like he's going to get cut. 
if he isn't traded. Calvin Ridley has been suspended for the entire 2022 season for gambling on sports games, which is really unfortunate. He said on Twitter after the fact it was $1,500, which obviously is minor to an NFL player, but major in the implications that it has on his future. And then the last one was DK Metcalf. And six weeks ago, we were talking about a $16 million price range for him roughly per year. He's 24 years old, has one year left on his rookie deal. And he's been, you know, super productive, 900 yards in the last three seasons. Every year he's been in the league, really. And then today, the secret hidden third domino happened. And I think this is a really important one. Mike Williams re-signed three years, $60 million to stay with the Chargers. So I look at the two players, Mike Williams and DK Metcalf. Mike Williams has been in the league a little bit longer, but I think DK Metcalf is a better player. So you're automatically starting with a price tag on DK Metcalf of $20 million when that time is up after next season. So that's going to heavily influence the amount of trade or the trade value, I should say, that the Jets should give up for DK Metcalf. And truthfully, if I'm Joe Douglas, I don't know about you, but if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm not even entertaining a, a, a phone call from John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, if it starts with pick 10. Obviously, pick four, absolutely off the table. But pick 10, I'm hanging up on him. Pick 35 or 38, I think that's a sweet spot for DK Metcalf because we've been targeting playmakers at that spot in the draft with you know mock draft simulators for the Jets for the last six, seven, eight weeks. So I think th- – 35 and 38 would be a good starting point for DK Metcalf. I want to hear your thoughts, but I I think the 10th overall pick, which I've seen on Twitter, I think that's way too much if you're going to have to pay a person $20 million the following season. And there's already been rifts about him not being 100% happy in Seattle. So who knows what that's going to look like in New York. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts, but I think you can't even entertain a first and you have to start maybe at 35, 38 and work from there. Yeah, um, I com- I completely agree um, with your takes in regards to uh, the DK Metcalf situation. Uh, allocating a top 10 pick for him, um, yes, we know that he's a very good player. He's been consistent. He's got Pro Bowl-level talent. Uh, but where the Jets are currently sitting uh, and, and how their team and their roster is, as of today, uh, March 8th, they have a lot of holes to plug in before, you know, they start giving premium blue chip um, kind of uh, draft picks away for, for that kind of position. Wide receivers are definitely a very, very important position. Uh, but as far as like this whole team as a whole, uh, I, I don't feel that that would be a, a good decision by Joe Douglas and company. Now, if we were to entertain you know, one of our second round picks and maybe we can bundle up some later picks to go with that. You know, I'd like to keep Mm -hmm. our, I I like the competitive edge that we have this year, having two picks um, in each round, you know, within that top 40. I think that that gives us a really, really good opportunity to bring in more young talent on rookie contracts that will solidify this roster for the long term, or at least for the next four years. Um, you know, we are starting to see a lot more of these, uh, a new foundation of Joe Douglas uh, in, in these young rookie, you know, draft picks. He's had an abundance of them, and to see him give them away for a player like that, 
you know, you're talking about Metcalf, who's in his prime. This is his prime window right now, 24 years old. Um, like like you said, he's probably going to be looking somewhere between $16 million or more. Um, mm-hmm. And when we make that trade for him, we're only acquiring him for this year. I believe this is, would be his final year of his rookie deal. And then if we wanted him long-term, we're going to have to pay him big-time money. So I don't know if the Jets would want to do something like that, given the opportunity to, let's just say, things work out and they're targeting wide receiver at 10. I find it way more lucrative to find a wide receiver on a rookie deal for significantly less money. And you can lock him up for four years and have a fifth year option on the, on a new wide receiver for Zach Wilson to, you know, pair up with that to me sounds way more intriguing um, than using a premium pick on DK Metcalf. Again, second round and maybe a few later picks, I, I wouldn't be mad if they went ahead and did something like that, because he is a phenomenal player and I was extremely high, you know, with his talent when he came through the draft uh, a few years ago. Uh, But at this point in time, I just don't think the Jets are, you know, in a contending position to make that move right now. Um, Now things can change, you know, as we get closer to April and uh, if they have a decent free agency and they feel that they have the wiggle room to do so, Again, you know, I, I will. I won't be bad at the Jets if they, for being aggressive and doing something like that. I just don't think it's in the cards for them. Uh, but it is intriguing, and and like you said, there's been a frenzy going on um, since these rumors have come to social media with all these different players. And um, you broke the news to me on Mike Williams, and and I'm feeling a little down about that one. He was one of my top <laughs> wide receivers that I wanted the Jets to target. Um, looking at that contract of $60 billion, uh, I, I don't even know if Mike Williams um, statistically deserves that kind of money, but he is a very good player, and mm-hmm. the Chargers um, clearly know that they have something good, and he works well with, with their quarterback, so why would you want to break up that connection? Completely makes sense. They they want you know their young quarterback who's on an elite path right now um, to continue that with the guys that he's been comfortable with, so... Good for the Chargers and Mike Williams. Glad he got paid. Unfortunate for me and my fandom and, and, and hoping that he'd come to the Jets. Uh, but that's what makes the, you know, the free agent frenzy, uh, you know, so intriguing this time of year because a lot of players are beginning to get tagged. Um, you know, David Njoku was another one. And mm-hmm. uh, that was a tight end that I was hoping the Jets would go for. I think Schultz Same. was somebody that you were talking about. He got tagged. So. Yep. It looks like, uh, you know, even the, the tight end group for free agency is starting to dwindle. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing that there are still some formidable guys that the Jets could acquire in March and come into the draft. I definitely think that they need to prioritize getting another tight end here. Um, hopefully a day two guy, uh, maybe a day three, because, you know, oh, yeah. from what I've seen, that this class is, is pretty deep. And, you know, Daniel Jeremiah might have, you know, uh, you know, put a put a damper on anyone that was thinking of going after and targeting a tight end very early in the draft. He put mm-hmm. a pretty good um, argument out um, during his segment on how this class is very very deep, and you could probably find quality tight ends in the, in the late third, early fourth, and maybe even the fifth round for this draft. So um, I trust DJ over most. And, uh, you know, so hopefully the Jets get to do that kind of running on, uh, 
a little bit uh, off topic here, so uh, I'm going to bring us back on course. But, uh, Dylan, if you have another thought, now's the time. Yeah, I was going to say, just to circle it all back to wide receiver and DK Metcalf versus rookie at 10, I know you just said Garrett Wilson. There's other names, obviously. But I just looked at um, Mm -hmm. Devonta Smith's contract last year with the Eagles, his rookie contract, because he was the 10th overall pick. And I just wanted to see what the overall parameters of the contract would be. And it's a four-year, $20.1 million deal. That obviously has the fifth-year option built in. So I'm looking at it of do you want DK Metcalf for this year and then $20 million per season beyond that, or do you want a guy for four years at a total price of $20 million, and then you get to make your decision. So if it were up to me, yeah, yep. I'm on board with a wide receiver at 10, just like you are. Not quite sure Robert Sala yeah. is. He had some comments to say about wide receivers and their development seems to be, you know, two to three years before they hit their stride. But I think a wide receiver at 10 would be a financially smarter option than trying to trade for a DK Metcalf. Yep, absolutely agree on that one. And speaking of um, you know, contracts and fifth-year options, that'll bring us into our first topic of the evening that we want to get into, and that is Quinnen Williams. It was just announced, I believe, just last week that uh, Quinnen Williams' fifth-year option will be picked up by Joe Douglas. So, um, you know, we're just going to give our quick thoughts about that one. Uh, Dylan, do you want me to kick it off, or do you have something prepared? Yeah, that's fine. You go first. Okay. So, you know, uh, we were talking briefly off air, you know, about the defensive line and everything like that. And, you know, this um, this option that's being picked up, now clearly, you know, things can change, but that does give the Jets a little bit more of a, you know, a long-term uh, options with Quinn and Williams. Uh, we get to solidify our defensive line for a few more years with the same guys. Um, you know, we have Lawson on a three-year deal. We put John Franklin Myers on a three-year deal. Now we're going to have Quinnen Williams for the next two years, possibly with him getting a big extension. See how that goes. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're building a core at this defensive line, and, and they've got some other guys in-house as well, that um, UDFAs and, and other rookies that are in the mix with, with this defensive line unit. But, uh yeah, it just makes me wonder how much more money and draft capital they're going to put into the defensive line. Because um, as of right now, you know, we were just looking at the contract for Quinn and Williams being at this year it's going to be about $10.5 million, And with his fifth-year option, at minimum we're looking at $11.5 million. So you take that $11.5 million, you know, you're paying around thirteen five for John Franklin Myers, and you're paying around $15 million for – uh, Carl Lawson. So, you know, at the moment here, the Jets have, you know, somewhere near $45 million invested into about three players um, that arguably play the, the same position. So that, that's a lot of uh, salary cap um, devoted to, you know, that, that group. And um, I'm just, you know, curious on how much more money they're allocating for that. Um, I do think it's good because Quinnen has shown, like, really, really good things and then, you know, it seems to like he gets a little nagging injury and then we miss him for a couple weeks or a couple games. You know, last year he fought through, I believe, um, a shoulder injury and he may have had some other things going on. So good thing is that they're picking up his fifth-year option, so maybe his health is better than we anticipate. Um, and I, I can't recall the last uh, first-round pick that got an extension. 
um, on this Jets team. So uh, that's another promising thing, being that we we got a good one and we got a right pick um, in the first round with with the player in Quinton Williams. Dylan, your thoughts? Yeah, while you were doing that, it afforded me some time to pull up our trusty spot rack numbers and. You you alluded to it right there, how much spending can they possibly do on this defensive line. And I I looked it up by positional spending, and according to SpotRack, the Jets are currently fifth in the NFL uh, in D-line spending. This is across the entire D-line, both edge and interior. Quite honestly, I don't even know if this includes Quinton Williams' fifth-year option number. So you're looking at top five or even top three if that number hits. Um, you have the Chiefs at 64, Eagles at 62, Saints at 53 with the Vikings, and then the Jets right there at 48. So they very easily could have the most money tied up into the D-line when it's all said and done. And then you flip over to the opposite side of the ball, the, the other trench that Joe Douglas likes, and they have about $40 million, which is around league average at 14. So personally, I would like to see a little bit more spending on the offensive side of the the line, but I understand that that's a position that isn't always one to hit free agency. Um, but back to Quinn and Williams, I think it totally makes sense for the person, the player. Um, he was the third overall pick, and we knew it coming out that he was a young player that probably wasn't going to hit his stride until year two, maybe even year three. And I think this year they started to unlock him a little bit. You mentioned it with those little injuries that some he tried to play through, some he just couldn't. And he was still pretty productive. I know he started off with, you know, a handful of sacks and then slowed off uh, towards the end of the year and ended with like six or seven sacks. So you want to see that number hit double digits, especially before the long-term deal comes. But at the same time, they're also paying Carl Lawson $15 million a year, and I don't think he's ever had double-digit sacks. So you can see the, the thought process is, you know, pay them before they hit their breakout year and hope that you get the better version of them than they were, you know, years before the contract. So good for Quinn and Williams, you know, another trench piece. Joe Douglas is going to keep building these. So we're hoping that it's, you know, we looked at it 11 and a half, maybe even 13 million roughly for the fifth year option. So it is an expensive option, but definitely one that's worth it. And hopefully they get a long-term deal done because I like Quinn and Williams a lot. Yeah, um, untapped potential there, and I think we've only seen a glimpse of what he's capable of. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely, you know, hugely intrigued to see what he's got going on here. And um, one player that I, I didn't mention was, uh, you know, Sheldon Rankins, um, making about four and a half to play inside defensive tackle for this team as well. So there's another just about $5 million thrown onto the table as well to that defensive line group. And, uh you know, this I don't want to jump too far ahead with our talking points for tonight, but um, you know, just talking about this out loud, it all automatically just starts to, you know, switch up my takes and my perspective on where I think the Jets should go for the draft, which makes us all <laughs> the more exciting. Every second, but, it seems uh, like it changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just biting my tongue and trying to, you know, stay the course here and not be a floozy and jump to every single, you know, idea and run with it and then flip-flop and go back the other way the next day, it's, it gets a little chaotic. But um, let's move our way into the um, – actually, just before we go ahead and we get into the NFL topic here, just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Um, 
If you don't know who they are, please go to milesocial.com. They help businesses improve their social media status on all sorts of levels. So please go to M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L.com. That is milesocial.com. Okay, Dylan, get into the NFL Combine. Tonight, what we are going to try to accomplish here is we're going to go through this, um, you know, try to go through this as quickly as we can. We do have a lot of notes. Um, you know, mine are pretty, pretty decent. Yours, uh, I just was going through um, before the show, and you've got some great notes written up on a lot of players. So what we want to do is talk a little bit about some players that, you know, the eyes popped and, and uh you know, I know you have some winners and losers that you're going to go through. I did more of, uh, you know, a few players that stood out to me, one player that I feel broke out with their NFL Combine performance, and then a draft riser as well. I think you have some some of those guys written as well, so that's good. So, um, yeah, let's get right into it, and let's talk about some of the players that stood out to us from the Combine. And, uh do you want to go back and forth? Um, you know, I'll do one, you do one. You want to do that, or do you want to go through your top three, and then I'll do my top three? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go one for. Let's go one for one. Okay. So my first uh, standout for from the NFL Combine is James Cook. Uh, did not mm-hmm. know that he was Dalvin Cook's younger brother. And when you look at him, uh, you, you definitely see the reason why. Um, I, he's a little bit, you know, smaller, I would say, in frame. Devin, Dalvin's got a pretty big frame for a running back. Um, but mm-hmm. you can see that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. There's pedigree in the Cook family as far as the running backs are concerned. And, uh, yeah, you know, once I – and that's what happens when you watch the combine. You, you find players that you never even looked at any sort of film and didn't really know too much about and – you know, that's what makes it so great. Then you can go check out, you know, go into YouTube and look at their film and, and say, wow, you know, now I'm really starting to see why this player is so intriguing. So to give you some brief statistics here, you know, Dalvin, uh, Dalvin, James Cook, very much like his brother Dalvin, um, dual threat guy, um, very good in the receiving aspect like his brother. Um, throughout his career, he put up 700 yards you know, receiving and six touchdowns. He had 1,500 on the ground with 14 touchdowns rushing. So 20 total touchdowns, um, knows where to find the end zone. And uh, one of the stats that popped out to me is that he averaged almost 11 yards per reception as a receiver. So um, as we talk about running backs, you really need to be able to do as much as you possibly can for your offense. And being able to be a viable receiver, that's obviously a plus. Um, you know, he would probably be somebody in the mid-round of the draft that could arguably be a steal. And I think taking him and Michael Carter as a one-two punch, I think that would be a lot of fun for us Jets fans. Looking at his combine numbers here, um, he ranked eighth overall for the 40-yard dash at a 4-4-2, 16th um, with a 33-inch vertical, and then sixth overall for all running backs uh, with a 124-inch uh, broad jump that's you know 10 feet 4 inches so you can see that he's got you know the speed is there for the running back and he's got lower body strength which definitely needed for his position um, and I think the receiving aspect is just a bonus there so that's my first uh, standout from the combine Dylan floor is yours 
No, that was that was a perfect one. And you're saying sometimes the combine is our first exposure to some of these players, and sometimes it's the first time you see him without a helmet on, and you can you truly can mm-hmm. see the resemblance between him and Dalvin Cook. So that's really funny. But yeah, absolutely a great player. Uh, the first guy I want to target, I'm sticking on the offensive side of the ball as well. This is a guy who was at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he caught my eye at the Senior Bowl. He had some defenders tearing up at his undershirt because he was just breaking away from them at the line of scrimmage. And that's Rutgers' Bo Melton. He measured in at 5'11", 189. Uh, he's got 31 and a quarter inch arms, which for his size are pretty good. And then you turn it over to the testing, and he just was explosive. 4.34 in the 40, which was fourth best or fifth best out of the wide receivers, and a 38-inch vert, which is also top five. And then you add in the fact that this guy can play special teams. I think maybe – obviously he's a top 100 pick to me. Round three is an easy one for him. But does he squeak into round two? I'm not quite sure. I have him kind of bookmarked right there at the, the day two spot. I think he could be, you know, even top 50 if a team likes him, but he's somebody that throughout this entire process has stuck out to me. And being a local guy from New Jersey, I had to spotlight him as my first winner for the Combine. Very nice. Okay. So my number two guy was Zion Johnson. And uh, just kind of like you said, you know, not seeing the player um, with the helmet off and being able to take a look at the, uh, the body of work, per se, and uh, see see him move around, you know, being nimble as a cat. Um, I definitely could see, you know, some of the write ups that I that I've seen about him being able to uh, get out in space, and he's nimble and quick on his feet. Uh, I think Zion Johnson would really, really be, um, you know, not only a good player for the Jets, but um, just as far as trying to solidify the interior aspect of your offensive line. I think he could come into any team and help out right away. Uh, you know, he wasn't very quick as far as the 40-yard was concerned. 5.18, ranked 28th overall for all offensive linemen. But what he did stand out in was some of the other um, drills that he participated in. And unlike uh majority of the prospects that attended the NFL draft, he did just about every single one except for the that uh, 60-yard shuttle. So kudos to him because there was a lot of players that personally just chose to get involved in a few things um, Mm -hmm. going with the route of less is more. Because a lot of people like to nitpick on certain, you know, drills like, you know, the uh, infamous three cone, you know, we see that every year. There's a player that's supposed to be a speedster that has a below average three cone and all of a sudden he's no longer going to be a good player. And then, you know, come to find out, you know, the complete opposite happens when they get to the league. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting how that works out. But <laughs> with Zion Johnson, he ranked third, um, first overall with the bench press with 32 reps. Um, so you can see that he's got that, that uh, gargantuan strength. 32-inch uh, vertical. So the lower half of the body is very strong. Fourth overall for all offensive linemen. His broad jump, he was at 112 inches. That was seventh. The three-cone drill, 7.38. That was fourth overall. And then his 20-yard shuttle was a 4.46, third overall for all offensive linemen. So you can see, you know, this guy works very, very good within a short area amount of space. And uh, that's definitely what you want for either a guard or a center, um, somebody, you know, that could be uh, nimble and, you know, can pull and 
do all that, that athletic stuff. So uh, I really, really liked um, Zion Johnson before the NFL Combine, even more so now seeing him, um, you know, under the, uh, the national media. So uh, who's your number two guy, uh, Dylan? That was another great choice, another senior bowl guy that I got to see up close, and he stayed late after practice, especially on the day it rained, to practice snaps at center. So this guy is five-spot versatility on the offensive line, so another great choice by you. I'm going to stick on offense again. It's kind of funny. Offense seems to be the the theme of where we're going here, but Mm -hmm. this is a guy that I was already really high on in the process, and he ended up moving a little bit higher, and that's Garrett Wilson, wide receiver from Ohio State. Uh, 5'11", 6'8", uh, 183. Uh, he had 76-and-a-half-inch wingspan, if I can read this correctly. Um, and when it comes to Garrett Wilson, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was obviously his 40 time. Um, he's somebody that I've done a lot of research on, and his number wasn't supposed to be that low. I know that uh, Lance Irline put out a tweet that they'll be adding about five one-hundredths or six one-hundredths of a second to each individual 40 time because I guess the, the track was fast in Indianapolis or what have you. So they'll be adding a little bit of time, but still a four three eight was blazing for Garrett Wilson. And there's a saying that I heard um, from the draft dudes, uh, Joe Marino, great podcast. Um, he said, don't count it twice. And this is something that I thought of because I originally had Chris Olave here to talk about and Chris Olave, the TV had him at a 4.26 on the, their uh, broadcast little screen there. And he ended up running a 4.38 or a 4.39, just slightly slower than Wilson. But we already knew that Olave was fast. And when I say don't count it twice, I mean if you know somebody's fast coming into the combine, don't watch them run a fast 40 and then say, hey, he's fast. Like, we know that. You know what I mean? So, like, an example mm-hmm. of a negative way would be, like, Kenny Pickett's hand size. We've known since even before the Senior Bowl when he didn't measure his hands that his hand size was an issue. He wore gloves at his entire career in Pittsburgh. He played in cold weather. So, like, there's, you know, pros and cons to it. But, like, a lot of teams could see that when it's officially measured at eight and a half inches, historically bad. And they could say, oh, we don't want him anymore. But, like, we already know that it's bad. So don't count it twice, whether it's positive or negative. So I was originally going to talk about Olave here, but then I was like, no, Garrett Wilson has to be the guy because he ran just as fast as Chris Olave and he wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to. So Garrett right. Wilson, like he was, he was my wide receiver too, coming into the combine. I still, I'm, a, I'm the biggest Jameson Williams fan. I still don't care if they take mm-hmm. him at 10, but I moved Garrett Wilson ahead of Jamison Williams, and now he's my wide receiver one. I really love what Jameson, or Garrett Wilson can do, rather, and there's a highlight of him uh, his freshman year against Darion Kendrick when Kendrick was still playing for Clemson. It was along the sideline, and I swear Garrett Wilson jumped over Darion Kendrick to catch the ball and kept his feet inbound, and it was one of the most absurd catches I've ever seen. So for someone like Wilson to come on and have the tape that he did to impress me and then come into the combine and not only run fast, but faster than the the guy who was pegged as the speedy guy on the team. I'm all in on Garrett Wilson as my wide receiver one. There you go. Yeah. I like the, um, the segment that you brought up about, you know, fast 40 times and things like that. Um, it's interesting because what I did, um, every year it really seems like teams seem to fall in love with players that go out and, and just run super fast in a straight line for 40 yards. Um, 
rarely do you see that where a player has to do that without some sort of contact. So, um, right. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, speed is speed, you know, it's, you know, one of those things where it's God given talent. Yes. You can improve, um, how quick you are um, by learning how to come out of the blocks, like, you know, track style from that three-point stance, um, you know, learning how to stay low and don't come up too high within that the first, you know, 10 meters. And um, here I am talking about, like, my old track days now. But, um, you know, the whole what I'm trying to get at here is that um, there's enough statistics to say that sometimes going for the fastest guy coming out the combine isn't always the best thing to do when it comes to the wide receiver mm-hmm. position because if you look at the top 10 fastest 40 times uh, there's only two players um, that have any relevance um, out of the top 10 historically um, Chris Johnson's one of them um, you know CJ2K and then you have Marquise Goodwin who we know is also you know an Olympic runner as well but everybody else on that list uh, has not done much of anything um, in the, in the league, so don't always you know fall fall for the bait when you see some guy run fast. But um, apparently, a lot of teams love to do that. You know, John Ross, Henry Ruggs, um, DJ Shark. You know, teams just go for it every single year. And you know, for me, it's like when I'm you know Garrett Wilson running that amazing time that only helps him because I have him as my wide receiver one in this class and. You know, I like what he does as a route runner, and I, I think the way that he can separate is great, and now you can see where the separation comes from with that, that speed and, um, you know, just having reliable hands and, and things like that really is the reason why I liked him, you know, now that you add that, that speed element to it, I think it makes him even propel even um, higher. But, um, all right, let me get back on to track here. With my number three standout, um, this will be, you know, it's funny, we're on the offensive side tonight, Isaiah Likely, yeah, yeah. tight end from Coastal Carolina. Um, this was another player that was not on my radar until the combine rolled around. Um, he was one of the players that Daniel Jeremiah was talking about as far as you don't have to go too early in the draft to find a good tight end. You can wait for those middle rounds and find, you know, a gem. Um Isaiah likely definitely meets that category. Six foot four, two forty five. He did not run the forty, so you know you'll have to take a look at that game speed when you look at his film. Um, but he was extremely active. Um, his final year in college: fifty nine receptions, nine hundred twelve yards, and twelve touchdowns. Now, uh, fifty nine receptions um, is absurd for a tight end in a single season. And I think Trey McBride has 90, so that's, like, unheard of probably, like, the one percentile. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to find a player like this, fourth round, you know, maybe fifth round, um, he was first overall in the vertical jump, um, ninth overall in the 20-yard shuttle. Those were the only um, drills that he was involved in besides some of the receiving uh, drills with the quarterbacks. But what I really came away with is that he was very fluid. Um, he looked like a pure runner. Uh, you know, when I was looking at some of the film, you could see him beating safeties and beating um, nickelbacks as he was spread out, like as that extended wide tight end. Uh, so you can, you know, plug and play, move this guy around. Um, you know, I think the term would be like a move tight end. And uh, we know that the Jets need as much help as they can get from the tight end group. 
Um, the one thing that he prides himself most about is his blocking ability. Um, I don't have the quote in front of me verbatim, but he, the way he looks at blocking is he thinks that the person in front of him is trying to, to steal something from him, whether it's money or food or whatever, and that's trying to affect his future, and he takes that personally out on the man in front of him. Oh, don't yeah. know how he came up with that, but that's the kind of mentality he has, that if you're standing in front of me, you are not my friend, and I'm going to make you pay. So I get, a little, I get goosebumps when I hear players talk like that, and uh, if there is any way, shape, or how that the Jets do decide to go for one or possibly two tight ends in this draft, really hoping that they go to Coastal Carolina and go for an Isaiah Likely. Dylan, back to you. Yeah, that's, again, another great pick. I haven't uh, gotten to watch his film in depth yet, but I watched some of the Senior Bowl film that was sent from the national team practice. And, yeah, Isaiah Likely is definitely a guy. And uh, if you just go back and look at his combine, you want to see some speed. I thought he did the gauntlet drill where they catch passes from either side of the line. They got to run straight. Mm -hmm. I thought he was super fast in that drill. I was like, whoa, like – take a second here. Like you only get to do it once. Like don't, don't do it too fast, you know, but he caught everything yep. and he was straight on the line. So definitely another great player by you. So I'm so conflicted with my third player because I want to cheat and I want to just say every Georgia player that showed up and did anything there. So I'm going to just say that. And that'll be like my three a and then three B has to be Malik Willis because I don't know about anybody listening, but I'm kind of a, a sports book guy, I kind of dabble in the gambling, especially when it comes to draft and stuff. So Malik Willis, mm-hmm. he's another winner for me because go- going into the combine, he was the second quarterback odds behind Kenny Pickett to be the first quarterback drafted. And then after his combine, he is now minus 170 odds, and he is now the best odds to be the first quarterback selected. I'm not sure if Seattle changes that trading up. There's surfaces of him, uh, Pete Carroll and Matt Corral, meeting each other. So we'll see how that goes. But I think Malik Willis had himself a day. So he's my 3B. Mm-hmm. And then 3C has to be Ike McQuanu. Uh I didn't expect him to be that large. Um, you, you said it, too. you got to see the body, the frame, and what they're working with. Mm-hmm. And that man's upper body is just so compact it's scary and he went out there and he ran a 49340 which was fourth best out of all the offensive linemen yeah. absolutely long arms at 34 inches which is over the threshold of 33 so a lot of people were saying the the guard talk dies here and he's a tackle specifically i still think teams can put him in if they really needed to in a pinch but this guy i mean if it wasn't for Cam Robinson getting a franchise tag today, I probably would have put more money on Equanu to be the first overall pick after the combine. Definitely. I see you have a couple um, honorable mentions here. If you just want to run through your list real quick. Um, I see your number two guy in the winner. Um, I would pencil him as a Patriot um, if you want to go that route, but um, yeah, why don't you just go through two your, the rest of your list? You got me. Let me see my number two, Christian Watson. Um, talking about? Oh, maybe you updated your list. I see Bo Melton here from Rutgers. Oh, oh, okay. Maybe I did change the order around. I forget who number two was. It uh, was it Bo Melton? He was the guy. Yes, you, I think you yeah. switched. You had Garrett yeah. Wilson. Up, yeah, yeah. Uh, you moved him up the ladder. I was say, 
which I, yeah, I cannot but, um, argue with at all. But uh, when I see Rutgers, I always think of Belichick for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty safe assumption. He and now that Shiano's back over there, he's probably uh, you know well, getting that insider that. information. <laughs> but no, one one honorable mention I do want to talk about is Christian Watson, a big wide receiver heavy theme. You can see which players I like to scout. Uh, Christian Watson, North Dakota State wide receiver. Um, I comped him, and I'm not really big on comps, but I think like his body size and his play like reminds me of Alan Lazard, which is really perfect because mm. I think after his stellar combine, he's going to be like a surefire Packer in the first round. Uh, he ran a four three six forty, eleven and four inch on the broad, and thirty eight and a half on the vert, which I believe were all top five, if not top seven. I didn't write it down here. And this guy, he he at the Senior Bowl, again, I keep bringing up Senior Bowl players, but he was the best wide receiver on the national team. He and uh, Trey McBride, the best pass catchers by far on the Jets team at the Senior Bowl. And I thought Christian Watson was probably the best wide receiver overall, if not for Calvin Austin. Uh, Calvin Austin was on my list, but I kind of expected him to do all these explosive things out of Memphis, so he didn't make my winners. But Christian Watson, yeah, I thought he was, you know, 35, 38 overall for the Jets, and now I'm not even sure because if teams like his fit in the offense, I think he's going to be a late one. Um, another guy here, – here we go. we got a defensive guy for you, Alex. Logan Hall, the interior defensive lineman from Houston. Mm-hmm. And I said interior defensive lineman, but I don't think that's what he should play in the NFL. I think – teams, especially after interviewing him and seeing his workout where he ran a 4.8840, which I believe was by far the best out of all the interior guys other than the Georgia freaks. Um, Logan Hall is going to be an ex, like an edge rusher for me. He's six foot six, 283 pounds. He could probably lose about, I don't know, eight to 10 pounds to just get into that 272 range like Trevon Walker. And he's, you know, almost, uh, 33-inch arms, which is good for a pass rusher, almost an 80-inch wingspan, another good thing for a pass rusher. So I wrote here in my notes, if the right coach or defensive coordinator gets their hands on Hall, he could be an immediate impact player, played all over the D-line in college, but is clearly explosive enough to play the edge. So Logan Hall, another guy, surprise, surprise, at the Senior Bowl. It's funny. It's like Jim Nagy's really good at his job at finding these really good prospects. <laughs> so Logan Hall yep. is definitely an honorable mention for me. Um, I do have some losers here if you want me to get into those. I know you didn't make yeah. any losers. And a lot of my losers are just guys that I shouldn't even say are losers. They just didn't participate at the Combine. So number one for me was Drake London, wide receiver out of USC. I you know, I turned on his tape with all this expectation to be wowed, especially if you look on Twitter, everybody's raving about Drake London. So I put it on and uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not that wowed. I think it's just like contested catches a lot. And sure. We think he has speed. He obviously didn't perform. He's still rehabbing from the injury, but I think it's just weird that for somebody who's, like main attribute is contested catches. I think a lot of people have him as wide receiver one. So for me, I didn't really see it with Drake London. And then I was more upset that I didn't get to see him perform because I feel like that would have filled in a lot more pieces for me as far as his evaluation. So he was my first loser. My second loser was somebody who did 
perform and just didn't really perform well at all. And that's C.J. Spiller, the running back out of Texas A&M. And he's a player that I watched uh, the week before the combine. Like late last week, I was watching Kenyon Green film, so I was watching Isaiah Spiller film as well. And I thought he had a chance to be one of the top running backs off the board. And after the combine, mm-hmm. I mean, he had he had the worst broad jump at nine and a half, uh, nine feet six inches, I should say, and the second worst vertical jump at thirty inches. And for somebody who plays a position where you kind of need explosiveness for his size. For some reason, I didn't write his measurables down. But for his size, he's an average size running back. I think he needs to be way more explosive than that. So, for now, he's, yeah. he can't rise higher than running back three after Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall. So, for me, he was a, a yeah. bit of a, a loser in the fact that I had to slide him down. And then I had Traylon Burks. He was a loser because I thought his hand size was actually going to be 11 inches. I fell for the bait. And they were nine and seven eighths, which is really disappointing. So his five XL was probably a three point five XL. And I thought his forty yard dash was slightly disappointing. Again, I thought he was gonna run in like the four three to four uh four seven range. He ended up running a or not four three to four 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 point three to four point four, excuse me. And he ran a four point five five. So, you know, just a tenth uh of a second slighter than I thought he was gonna run, but still somebody I thought was going to be a little bit more explosive. His vertical wasn't really impressive and neither was his three cone, but I don't think anybody's three cone was uh, impressive at the combine. I think that's why few players actually took part in it. And then the last one, I'm not going to throw Matt Corral in there because he didn't participate. It's not fair to him because I think he's still injured from his game, but Derek Stingley, another person, he's, he just has to be a loser for me because I feel like we didn't hear enough good things coming out of the combine to make me feel confident that he could be a top 10 pick. And I've always, you know, I've been on the side of, I wouldn't mind Derek Stingley at either pick four was a little too rich for me, but then 10, absolutely. I think th- thought that was a home run. Now it seems like he's not even going to crack the top 12 even. So it's really tough for Stingley. I had to put him here. His Liz Frank injury is concerning. Connor Rogers mentioned Santonio Holmes, career ended due to a Liz Frank in 2013. Mm. So that's kind of a bummer for me, but uh, that was it for my losers. I know we have some breakouts and risers to get into, so let's swing it back up on the upswing again. There you go. Yeah. And, and that was my take on, on the losers um, for segment was anyone that decided to opt out um, and not participate or choose to be selective and uh, just kind of show up and, you know, get their, uh, their their duffel bag full of goodies from <laughs> from the NFL um got on my loser list because uh you know we were talking about certain players that were looking to protest and um you know wasn't too sure on how many were going to participate and, and it almost kind of seems like um almost like disrespectful because they only do about what 150 invites I want to say um, out of everyone that's in, in the league or eligible to be drafted. And I think there's like, what, nearly 300 players drafted. So only about 50% of the people that are eligible to be drafted get an invite and then you decide not to participate. You know, just kind of, you know, rubs me the wrong way. I think that they, what they should do is probably like the Pro Bowl have, uh, you know, an eligible, you know, backup so that they can bring people in that actually want to, you know, like showcase an themselves. Yeah. An alternate, thank yeah, you. Yeah, um, I, I, I hope the, uh, 
Yeah, what's up? Go for it. I was I was just gonna say I hope that uh, the pro day turnout uh, is a lot more you know receptive, but obviously in the same aspect, like less front office people, less coaches, less general managers are going to be at the pro day. So, like you said, it was a, a mm. very big opportunity missed for what is considered the the biggest job interview in sports. Yep. Yep. Um, what I was just saying is interesting is that there was another running back, uh, a former younger brother, uh, C.J. Spiller, Isaiah Spiller. So um, there was a little bit of a theme with some of these running backs in, in the combine here. And yep. I, I was unaware that C.J. had a younger brother. Um, I had him up already when before you started talking about him at six one two fifteen for the um, for the specs on, on the young man. Um, the numbers look good on paper, uh, but now it's like that you've seen a, a small little dose of what he has, you know, I have to go back to the film and, and, and check that out. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting how he came up on your, uh, on your loser list, not saying that he's a loser, but more or less uh, a disappointment rather. Yes. But uh, okay, let's do our breakout player segment. Um, this is, you know, what, what I felt, you know, players that, you know, certain people like call themselves diehards, you know, know who he is, but there's probably an abundance of people that don't watch North Dakota State football or South Dakota State football, I should say. Um, and that brings me to Christian Watson, someone that you had just um, spoken about, you know, the six foot four, 208 pound wide receiver. Um, this is a guy that played with Trey Lance and was one of his go-to guys. Um, if you see Lance's film, you'll see that he connects with Christian Watson quite often, uh, but what was really mm-hmm. intriguing, intriguing to me from a statistical standpoint uh, was what he was, what he has done on the ground, um, totaling up to 392 yard rushing yards um, and two touchdowns, and both of those two touchdowns were over 40 yards. So he has that ability to where you get the ball in his hands, he's able to do something special. Um, now you take six foot four with a 200-pound frame, two 210-pound frame, and the speed of being 4.36, which was sixth overall for all wide receivers, uh, that says a lot to me. Also, 38.5-inch vert, sixth overall for all the receivers. You can see that he's got very, very good lower body strength. Um, so those contested catches, those jump balls, six foot four, good chance if you put it up high enough, he's going to come down with it. And then lastly, the broad jump was first in class. Um, 11 foot four, um, not just for wide receivers, everybody. Um, and that was 136 inch jump. So uh, I think that you take what he did in the combine, you go back and you look at the film and maybe you say, okay, this guy wasn't high on my radar because he played for South Dakota. Um, but, you know, now you, you can, we can kind of take a look at other players that have come from those style of schools and, have done great things in the NFL. And I think Christian Watson is going to be one of those players that maybe we were thinking day two, day three, and possibly he's uh, been able to improve himself, you know, dramatically. Dylan, who do you have as your breakout guy from the combine? It's funny you say that because they're, they're small schools, but sometimes they really do pump out these big prospects and they're known for it. You said Trey Lance, Obviously, he's polarizing. They put out some offensive linemen the last couple of years, Dylan Raddins included. He was a, a favorite of mine last year. Um, but I'm looking as you're talking about Watson, the 11 and 
four inch broad at six foot four. The second place broad jump, Calvin Austin the third at five foot seven and a half. So he's giving wow. up almost eight <laughs> and a half. In, he's giving up eight and a half inches to Christian Watson, and uh, he's jumping just as high. Maybe I should have put Calvin Austin in my winners list. <laughs> but That's like my Nate breakout Robinson player from the Knicks. Yeah, jumping over uh, Dwight Howard, right? <laughs> Right, right. Unbelievable. Put it, put it right in there. Yep. So my breakout player is uh, actually a defensive player. We can uh, we can show some love to the defense, right? So my breakout player is Troy Anderson, linebacker from Montana State. Um, Glenn actually wrote him up, um, I want to say, a couple of days ago for JetNation.com. I advise everybody to go over and check out his article. He gave his input on who he thought stood out to him at the – the senior bowl or at the combine rather, and who could uh, really catch the Jets eye. And he put Troy Anderson and I was kind of giving him some flack for it. I was like, you couldn't just keep him in the bag until we, we put out the podcast because I really wanted to talk about him. And he mentioned it, everything. He's a former quarterback, former running back. So he knows the offensive side of the ball. He's extremely intelligent. He's also extremely fast. He ran a four, four, two, 40, which was best out of all the interior linebackers, uh, a 10-foot, 8-inch broad, which was fourth out of all the interior linebackers. He was six foot three, two forty-three, and hey, surprise, surprise, everybody's rolling their eyes at me now, but he was a senior bowl player, so he caught my eye then. He, I thought he was going to be a mid-round pick, maybe, you know, early day three, like around where Michael Carter was picked right outside the top 100. Now it's it's hard to say that he shouldn't be up there with the the Chad Mumas of the world and the Leo Chanals of the world, where like he's in that second tier of linebacker outside of like Nicobe Dean and Devin Lloyd. So Troy Anderson, we'll, we'll give love to the small school for our breakout players and Montana State pumping out a linebacker who is kind of a gadget player. I wrote down some of his. Uh, school records and he has like crazy offensive records for yards per game touchdowns per game rushing yards as a quarterback in a game he's just he literally did everything at his in his time at montana state so he's my guy very nice very nice yeah i've got to give love to the small school guys here <clears throat> okay so this will be our um last segment for the nfl combine talk for the evening and then we're going to go into our final conversation, which I will debrief just shortly. But this is our draft riser segment. Um, This is somebody that uh, came in and maybe was considered, you know, a player that was on the bubble and, you know, certain, certain people know of this player very well. Maybe some people don't, but for me, um, and this would seem to always happen, the players that I covet the most, I don't want anybody talking about them. I kind of want them to slide under the radar in this way. You know, the Jets can scoop them and look like geniuses. Um, not the case anymore. Um, my player, draft riser, is Chris Olave from Ohio State. Um, this is somebody I've been waiting two years to come into the draft. I remember last year I put out a tweet. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was one of my mock Monday drafts, and I had Chris Olave on there. And then somebody just, you know, rained on my parade here and uh you know they uh they said did you not see that he's staying in school for another year and you know um they this person could not see me but i was doing like the darth vader no like you know dramatically (laughs) 
um, please don't say that it's true. And I looked it up, and I had to wait a whole other year um, for Chris Olave, but there's no hiding now. He will be going into the draft. Uh, I had aspirations of him being maybe one of those uh, early second-round picks for, for Zach Wilson, but I think after this weekend, you know, there's there's no hiding him anymore at this point. Um, 2,700 total yards in college, 35 touchdowns. So this guy absolutely meets the mold of playmaker and, and score. Um, you know, as far as the combine numbers are, he didn't do a lot, but he was at a 4-3-9, which was eighth overall for all wide receivers. So the speed is there. He could take the top off of the defense. His vertical jump was 32, which was relatively low. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm really not concerned about him breaking through tackles through, you know, the interior aspect of the, uh, like a running back. Um, I'm just more concerned mm-hmm. about him beating the man in front of him, which is corners and safeties. And then his broad jump wasn't too, too bad. Um, 10 feet, four inches, 17th overall for all wide receivers. So I think what really stood out to him was the, was the track speed, um, that four, three, nine. I think that that really is going to propel him higher up the draft board now, wherever he was currently at, I can totally see him being moved up the board now. Um, and I would not be shocked at all if he ends up being a late, you know, first round pick to, to one of those, uh, you know, teams that were, you know, contending in the playoffs and, uh, you know, just adding more fire to, to those, you know, uh, to the Kansas cities of the world. And, um, you know, hopefully not the Bills or anybody like that, because that would be, you know, really unfortunate to see no. him in the AFC East against the Jets. I would not want that scenario. But Chris Olave, one of my favorites. Um, you heard it here first, and that'll probably be the tune until April. But, uh, Dylan, who do you have as your, your draft riser? I did see your message. Um, folks, we're doing a little bit of an extended show tonight. We normally do about an hour tonight. We're, we're pressing it to maybe about 90 minutes. So, uh we have time, uh, Dylan, for that cool. one. So, um, yep, yep. Feel free to dive deep on your draft riser, and then we'll go into our final segment for the night. Cool. Uh, and again, Chris Olave, another another big uh, big play guy. I think I have him in my top fifteen on my big board. Yeah, he's number fourteen, right behind Traylon Burks at wide receiver four. So basically Mm -hmm. 3B Mm -hmm. because him and Traylon Burks are right there together. But my draft stock riser, it's funny, another wide receiver. I think this is the wide receiver episode for both of us. And I'm (laughs) going to go with Sky Moore, the wide receiver out of Western Michigan. Um, He's a bit of a smaller guy. I kind of have a type for smaller, shiftier slot guys. Elijah Moore was my draft crush last year. And I think Calvin Austin and Sky Moore are working their way into that category. Uh, Sky Moore is five foot nine, one ninety five, but he's got big hands, ten and a quarter inch hands. Wow, I just realized that that's big for his size. Uh, he was top ten in the forty at four four one, and he was sixth in the short shuttle at four three two, which is really explosive for a wide receiver. And I thought when I when I watched him. One, I, I liked his quarterback, Caleb Ellaby, who threw at the combine, and he had some, you know, up-and-down throws, but I thought he, Caleb Ellaby, had a good a good combine and should be drafted out of Western Michigan. But Sky Moore, I mean, I think he's now going to be top 50 lock. 
I'm pretty sure I've heard some uh, podcasts of early second round buzz even. So maybe even 34 to Detroit. I think that was where they put him early on in the second round. So this is a guy who could end up sneaking his way into the first round if he keeps impressing. I'm not sure what his interviews and team meetings, you know, how they went. But Sky Moore is a guy that was not on my radar until I think after this, when I came back from the senior bowl, somebody mentioned him to me in mobile and I, I turned him on and I was like, wow, not only can this quarterback sling it, but this guy, it's funny because he wears number 24. So it's like, am I watching the wide receiver or am I watching a running back split out wide? But it's Sky Moore. And uh, yeah, super talented. I think he's definitely a riser lock top 50. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting. We did hit a lot of wide receivers tonight, which actually isn't a bad thing because we do know that the Jets need um, help in that category. And, um, you know, maybe we put a couple people on uh, our listeners radar that weren't there before. Uh, So be sure to, uh, you know, if you missed out on anybody, feel free to go ahead and listen to it again, either on jetnation.com. From what I've seen, we're on, you know, Apple uh, podcast. We are on Amazon uh, Prime Music. You can find our podcast there. I think I found us on Spotify and yep. uh, numerous others. Google Play. Uh, we're really, really extending our platform here at Jet Nation. Um, you know, go to JetNation.com. You can check out the forums. That's where all the talk is. And uh, you know, I, I'm trying to find out how many platforms we are currently on with this uh, podcast radio. And uh, I'm moving forward. I'm going to try to extend and share more of those, so anybody who happens to be connected with those can can tune in and listen. Because um, oh, I, I did not know that we were extended that far. Yeah, we are really on all 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 across all the platforms. And also, if anybody has any prospect questions that maybe there's somebody that should have been in our winners or losers list, tweet at us. I'm at D Terman. Yes, He's at NY Jets Life 24. We'll be happy to share some notes, you know, hear your reasoning as to why they should should or shouldn't be on our list, and we're always happy to chop it up with you guys. Right on. All right, so we're going to move into our final segment for the evening, and tonight what we're going to do is we're going to um, go into a little bit of free agent talk, and, uh, we, you know, we're about, well, I mean, it's kind of already started within the last 24 hours within, you know, some – some high-name players have been franchise tagged. Some players are being traded. Um, as you mentioned, Amari Cooper, big wide receiver going into, um, could be going into the market and parting ways with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I saw something yesterday about Allen Robinson um, probably going to be testing the free agency market again. This is somebody yeah. a few years ago that I know myself and other Jets fans were intrigued about. Um, you know, I was more intrigued with the – the version of Allen Robinson that was three years younger, um, but, uh, you know, still a very, very, very good player. So what we're going to do tonight is um, we're going to talk about the draft just briefly, and we are going to discuss something that has been going around um, what we've seen on Twitter and and various other um, social media outlets, and that's what should the Jets do with their first-round picks being the fourth and the tenth overall. A lot of people have been arguing that the Jets need to stay, maintain balance and go offense and defense. Other people think that they should 
um, go all in on the offense for Zach Wilson, possibly, you know, start off the draft with an offensive lineman and then look for a wide receiver at that 10th pick. And then some other people seem to think, you know, spend your money um, in free agency on offense and have yourself a defensive draft to start off to solidify that. You know, as I mentioned in our last show, the Jets led up 504 points on defense this previous season, and uh, they cannot go back into this next year looking to do the, you know, repeat that formula uh, because they will be looking at a another losing season, and that will be putting our offense in a position to where we're going to have to throw the ball 50 times or more to try to stay in games. And we can't expect that much from Zach Wilson in his young career. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about free agent um, players that the Jets should target to solidify the offensive side of the ball so that they could go ahead and warrant two defensive picks at four and 10 in, in the draft come April. So I'll get it started. Um, with with my strategy here, um, we're going to start with offensive, um, the offensive line, the interior offensive line for um, in this aspect here. And I have three players that they're all vets, and I think that they could come right in and be day one um, game changers for our offensive line. Uh, there was a rumor uh, about a week or two ago that the Jets are interested in Ryan Jensen. This is the center from Tampa. This was a player that hit free agency a couple of years ago. That was one of the players that I wanted the Jets to uh, target. And uh, somebody said, uh, you know, the Jets uh, were better off with Spencer Logan, or Long rather, uh, because he was a better scheme fit. Man, oh, man, does that take sound horrible. Uh, he has proven <laughs> – Ryan Jensen has proven whether or not if he was a scheme fit or not that he is a Pro Bowl caliber uh, center. Um, no disrespect to Connor McGovern, but he is on his final year of his contract with this team. He started out as a guard and moved over to center um, within the last year or two for Denver, um, and that's how he got his job here with the Jets, playing as a center. Um, his first year, McGovern was not so great last year, a little bit better. Seems that this offense and the scheme is better from McGovern's play style, and that's why we saw a little bit better play from him. But even still, a player that you're not committed to on the long term and you have a void at right guard and McGovern can play right guard, I think that's a no-brainer to solidify the line with some vets. You bring in Jensen, he's not going to come cheap, but you have a viable starter, and then you have um, a vet at right guard. Uh, you know, So now when you're looking at the offensive line, it goes from having a weakness to a above-average player um, in both interior positions. So that would be my option one. My backup plan for other guards would be a Trey Turner or an, um, Andrew Norwell. I think acquiring any of those three players for the interior offensive line, automatic starters, it helps us fix our issues at the offensive line, and this would be really, really good for Zach Wilson and company. Um, Dylan, do you want to do it like we did with um, the draft? Or, I'm sorry, the yeah. combine talk where we'll go back and forth? Okay, so perfect. Cool as yours. Yeah, cool. So, like you, I also targeted interior offensive linemen. I think it's kind of an obvious need 
whether they address it, you know, day two, three, or four, I don't, obviously we can't speak on that, but we're going to stick with the defensive first round theme here. So we're going to target big ticket guys. Most of my guys are big ticket free agents, not, you know, small depth positions. These are guys, like you said, that can come in, be day one starters, day one game changers. So the first guy on my list, and he's probably not the number one priority, but he was the number one on the list here. It's Brandon Scherf from Washington. Still weird saying the commanders. Um, he's going to be 30 years old going into the season. Uh, it looks like he's going to command roughly 16 to 17 million. That's what PFF has him projected at. He's been tagged twice by Washington last year. It was just over 18 million. So the price tag is going to be pretty steep on Scherf. He only played 11 games because of an MCL sprain last year, but when the guy's healthy, we know what he can be. That's why they franchise tagged him twice. They're going to let him walk at 30 years old. Uh, maybe the Jets can talk that number down a little bit considering he's at the tail end of his career, but Scherf is one that's been linked to the Jets for as, as long as I feel like three years now. So uh, the number two guy on my list is Connor Williams, bit of a younger guy from Dallas. Uh, PFF hasn't projected around six to seven million per year, which at 25 years old, if you can get him on a three or four year deal, that's great because he's hitting his stride as the numbers aren't, you know, they're still relatively cheap for him. And obviously Dallas is known for their offensive line. Um, you know, their, their stature, they've had big guys on the offensive line there. I feel like since we've been kids and, uh, well, since I was a kid and, um, I think, it's a no-brainer, 25 years old, zone-heavy scheme guy. Pass pro is a little weak, but I think you can make up for it if you put him, you know, with a good right tackle and a good center. I think Connor McGovern and whoever right tackle is, Mekhi Becton or elsewise, I think they'll help him in the pass pro aspect of it. And then the third guy on my list, too, is the most intriguing to me. He's also the youngest. It's James Daniels from the Chicago Bears. Um, he's 24 years old. He'll probably – look at 10 to $11 million a year. And I just copied and pasted this from PFF because he was somebody that I didn't know much about up until a couple of weeks ago. I'm not huge on the free agents. I go straight into draft stuff. So they said starting guard in his zone blocking scheme. Daniels has played predominantly in his zone heavy attack between college at Iowa and his four years with the bears. So that's where he excels when it comes to the run game. I think the fact that he's 24 and has four years of experience shows that he was obviously young when he was drafted and the potential to hit that ceiling and, you know, exceed expectations on a $10 million a year deal could be, you know, something that the Jets could look for with those upside swings like we were talking about earlier. Right on. Okay. So, um, I know our position groups aren't um, copy and paste here, but uh, the next position group that I had um, in order for the Jets to comfortably go in for two defensive first-round picks, uh, targeting the free safety position and free agency. Now, this is a big-ticket guy. Uh, you know, the chances of the Jets acquiring him, probably not great, but you never know if they're going to try to put uh, some – allocate more money than we anticipate into the safety position. As we know, Marcus May mm-hmm. got um, injured last year, uh, tore his Achilles. Looks like his days as a Jets, um, as a Jet, um, is probably not going to happen. We still don't know. 
but um, more than likely he, he's probably going to test out free agency or who even knows where he's at with, with that ankle at this point. But uh, more than likely the Jets will part ways with Marcus May, so they have to go out and fill those big shoes. We saw last year what it was like not having our two premier safeties and Adams and May together, um, and at times it was a little scary. Um, we did see some flashes from, you know, a couple guys. I know the young kid Riley looked pretty decent, and, you know, Davis here and there um, showed some promise, but there was, you know, definitely numerous occasions where, you know, Ashton Davis was not at the right position or right play place and, um, mm-hmm. you know, needed to clean up some things with his tackling and otherwise. So Tyron Matthew, I don't think I need to get into depth on what he can do. Um, he will be one of the top safeties coming out of this free agency class and warrant a lot of money as well. But uh, you bring him in, um, you know, you have a Pro Bowl caliber uh, safety and defensive back, you know, solidifying the back end of the defense. That would be a really, really good start for the Jets to start, you know, fixing that um, position group. The second guy I have here is is the guy that I think is more realistic, and uh, that's Marcus Williams from the New Orleans Saints. Um, this is somebody that I really liked before he had um, gotten drafted by by the Saints. Really, really good player. Um, I just think he he has everything that you would want as far as you know being up to come in to support the run and being a viable threat and a ball hawk um, as far as pass coverage is concerned. Uh, lastly, my, my other player was Jabril Peppers. Um, this was the kid, uh, I think he played in Michigan, and they had him playing nearly every position you could think of, punt returner, kick returner, some running back. He played um, safety and linebacker. He's just a football stud. Um, you know, things didn't work out well with him for Cleveland. He came to New York to play for the Giants showed some things here and there, but, um, you know, the Giants are such a hot mess, just like the Jets, that, you know, they, <laughs> they really can't be shelling out, um, you know, extensions and big contracts like that. They're they're looking like they're a bit to rebuild themselves. So if the Pearl Peppers can be had for the right contract, I think that he's athletic enough to come in and just kind of be a Swiss Army knife as far as the secondary is concerned. Um, he could play free or free safety or strong safety. So I think that that gives Robert Sala options as far as being able to mask certain coverages and things that he'd like to do. Um, I, I really do like the, um, the safety group um, in this uh, free agency this year. I know that there's some good ones to be had in this draft, but I don't know if you want to go into the draft looking to fill a starting position and hoping a guy is available to you. I think the Jets need to, to fill that, that void and, and bring in somebody that they could be comfortable with. I mean, even if it ends up being LaMarcus Joyner, um, you know, they talked a lot about him last year and how excited they were to see him in this defense. And he did look pretty good during training camp, but he got injured and he never saw the, the regular season field. So it wouldn't surprise me if they kicked the tires on him again. But if I had my choice, you know, Honey Badger, Marcus Williams, or Jabril Peppers would be my top three choice to fix the safety position. Yeah, those are all those are all great choices, <clears throat> and I was really tempted to not necessarily follow in your position groupings that we chose for this exercise, but I was going to choose free safety. I decided to switch at the last second, and I decided to upgrade the edge position in free agency. 
I think this is a position that um, that Robert Sala, he has the patience as far as, you know, he has five years left on his deal. But I think in terms of wanting to establish his pass rush immediately and get his plan, you know, working on all cylinders, I think he needs to have veterans come in on the defensive line and really upgrade this pass rush. So a lot of the guys I chose could be looked at as, you know, even rotational players, but I still think it's it's smart to see what they can do because you can't have enough defensive linemen in the scheme. So the first guy I had was Emmanuel Agba. He's a bit of an older guy at 28. He's looking at maybe 15 to $16 million a year, so maybe a short-term contract for him. But he's somebody that is similar to JFM in the fact that you can put him out on the edge or you can also put him in on the interior and he can do work against guards and centers. So he's pretty multiple. Um, I like Agba for, I'm pretty sure he was with the Dolphins and before that the Browns or vice versa. And he always gave the Jets troubles. So um, I like Agba there as one of my edge guys. The second guy I have is Melvin Ingram the third. Again, another older prospect. He's 33, so you're looking at a one-year deal. And this is somebody that hopped around a little bit. He went from uh, Pittsburgh to Kansas City, I believe, and he was still productive. So somebody, I think, like I said, would be a rotational guy that, you know, JFM, if you wanted to kick him inside uh, to like a, a three technique, you could put Melvin Ingram on the outside, or if you wanted to, you know, go out and get two edge rushers, Melvin Ingram is a cheaper short-term option that I think could come in and be a spark because we just really don't have it on the edge. And then the third guy I have kind of um, a question mark with him, uh, super productive, but it's Hassan Reddick. He's 27. He's probably going to look at like 12 to 13 a year. Um, some don't might not even consider him an edge. They might consider him like an outside linebacker type. But when you look at the, the production as far as pass rushing, he had 12 and a half sacks last year. And then he had 11 sacks or 11 sacks in 2021 and 12 and a half in 2020. So he was productive in Carolina. He was productive in Arizona. They gave him a small one-term, uh, one-year deal in Carolina. So maybe he's looking to get a bigger you know, long-term deal done. And I think the Jets could be a good place to unlock his potential. Like I said, I don't know if his scheme fit is exactly what the Jets look for. I'm pretty sure he's more of a stand-up guy and not a hand-in-the-dirt type of guy if they want to, you know, rush for. Um, so Hassan Reddick, is, he's a question mark for me at edge, but I think the production is something that you can't just uh, look away from when you're trying to upgrade this position. Right on. Uh, you know, it's interesting because um, I think it was the February 15th show when I was doing a little bit of the uh, the free agency uh, talk. I had two players um, that you had just mentioned, which was Reddick and Agba, um, listed as guys that I think the Jets should try to target. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, either if you're if you're having Agba play as that edge position, which I think would be phenomenal. And if you have, you could use Reddick kind of as a linebacker and you could use him as an edge guy as well. I mean, both guys had over 30 sacks, you know, in their career thus far. So, uh, you know, the more sacks, the better for this defense, 100%. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, what I did is I went to the linebacker position. Um, that would be the next position that I would want the Jets to fill. Um, 
this way, you know, they go out, they take care of the back end of their uh, defense at safety with a free agent pick, and then they get a, a running mate with uh, C.J. Mosley to pair with. Um, and then, you know, you've got the second level and the third level of the defense taking care of giving you options when you go into the draft for that 4-10 and 10 spot. Um, a player I mentioned on that February 15th show, Kwan Alexander, uh, I know he's a little bit older, but I think the fact that he has chemistry with Robert Sala in this defense um, from, you know, his days in San Francisco, I think that that would really, really be, uh, you know, a knockout the park. Um, you really wouldn't have to worry about trying to teach him the scheme and development and things like that. He could come right in um, and just run with the, with the playbook. So I think that, that would be a smart move. Um, Hassan Reddick was another player that I had mentioned. Um, you basically broke him down, so I'm not going to go too crazy about him. Um, big, big Hassan Reddick fan. If that happens, you'll have no complaints from me. Um, and lastly, uh, Kazir White from the Los Angeles Chargers. Somebody mm-hmm. that I thought that, you know, and it's early, so things could change. Um, now, this guy didn't start off his career, you know, like right out the gates. Um, you know, he's developed over the last couple of years. In 2020, he had around 77 tackles, half of a sack, nothing too crazy. Last year was his breakout um, as far as, you know, being one of those above-average linebackers. Um, combined for 144 tackles, um, one sack, and two interceptions. Now, you put a young linebacker like that with C.J. Mosley, um, Mosley's got a couple years left on this contract. You sign Kazir White now. He ends up being your main guy moving forward. And then, you know, there's always the young prospects or, you know, we could go to the draft to try to find more depth. Um, and as we already know, Quincy Williams um, just got a roster bump and, and he'll be with the team next year as well. So you're talking about Quincy Williams, possibly one of these free agent signings like a Quan Alexander, Kazir White. Um, and then you have Mosley, you know, looking at a lot of, you know, four, two fronts with, you know, two linebackers and, and four defensive linemen. Um, you just need two solid guys out there uh, for certain packages. And I think Quincy is one of your better run stoppers. I think Mosley can do everything, but if you want another young athletic linebacker to throw into the mix there, I think that would be the best way for the Jets to, uh, right some of the wrongs on the defensive side. Yeah, Kazir White is super intriguing. I'm glad that uh, when I saw your notes, I saw you had him highlighted, so I wasn't going to because I have a different avenue, maybe a little bit more cost inefficient at linebacker. But like you said, when you play that 4-2 front, you really need two linebackers that – are going to understand every little part of the play. They're going to have good instincts. They're going to be able to direct the other players on the field. Like if C.J. Mosley for some reason has to come off the field, I think the Jets would be entirely lost at linebackers. So great choices there. I think Quan Alexander was somebody I was pushing really hard for last year. So another year removed from the injury, I'm all about it. Um, I actually chose linebackers too. It's funny, we're doing a – draft defense so help the offense but 
in a sense, we are helping the offense by upgrading this terrible defense. And uh, the first mm-hmm. linebacker I chose here is Devondre Campbell from the Green Bay Packers, um, 29 years old, uh, probably going to look at 9 to $10 million a year. Uh, I have a feeling my buddy's a Packers fan. He's pretty dialed in. He thinks they're going to work out a cap-friendlier deal for him to stay in Green Bay, not 9 or $10 million. So mm-hmm. I have my hopes up on getting him. I believe he was an all-pro uh, first-team selection, but he wasn't a Pro Bowl selection. It's very weird how the Packers have a history of getting all-pros but not Pro Bowlers, considering all-pro is more uh, the better accolade. Um, so Devondre Campbell is my number one guy. And then my number two guy is Alexander Johnson. This is somebody I've uh, been following for a little bit from the Denver Broncos. Again, 30 years old, but like I said before, you got to find people that are experienced, that have it between the ears, not just, you know, the, the young and intriguing aspects of them. You need them to be smart, instinctual, and know what's going on. So Alexander Johnson, he was uh, PFF's third best interior linebacker two out of the last three years. He had a bit of a dip last year, but reclaimed third best interior linebacker last year again. So, a, a bit of a late bloomer, but in Vic Fangio's defense, he was just so fun to watch. Him and Josie Jewell in the middle, um, couldn't get enough of him, honestly. So Alexander Johnson's number two. And then number three, which I think is a, a very, very realistic option, considering he has connection with Jeff Ulbricht, is Foyer Aluakon. He's 27, probably going to look at 10 to $11 million a year. But this guy's very multiple. Um when I say multiple, I mean he can play the mic. He can play off ball a little bit. He can do a little bit of end of the line of scrimmage stuff, you know, rushing the passer. Um, but I think it's the connection with Albrecht. Uh, Albrecht was the linebacker coach in Atlanta from 2015 to 2019 before becoming the interim head coach in 2020. So he has a ton of familiarity with the Luicon. Um somebody that I think has been rumored to the Jets because of the connection, but also because of the upside he brings. So I had to sneak him on this list. It's somebody that uh, definitely worth kicking the tires on for the Jets that are looking to upgrade that, that, that second level, especially in terms of speed. Right on. Okay, so let's do a quick recap, and then we're going to do a quick draft scenario because we're getting close to – uh, shows end here. So um, I focused in on the interior offensive line. I decided that, you know, we should go out and solidify our free safety position and then go ahead and get a running mate for C.J. Mosley at the linebacker position, linebacker slash edge. Anyway, you want to, you know, put that, it's fine by me. So with my situation here that I have, um, I would go out and I would take Sauce Gardner at the number four pick. Um, lock up one of the best corners in this draft. Um, You get a really nice pairing with Bryce Hall, and I think that that really gives the defense an edge as far as changing all the the wrongs that had happened with, um, you know, the defense last year. And then my number 10 pick, um, I would go with the edge pass rusher, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, I really, really like this kid. this is kind of a gamble that he would be there at 10. Maybe if you flip and I go with a, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and then see if there's a sauce Gardner or Trent McDuffie might be more realistic at 10. 
Um, but I really like Gardner. Dylan, you know that better than anybody. Um, oh, but yeah. uh, I do really, really do like Jermaine Johnson. And um, I just have a feeling that, you know, a lot of people are talking about Hutchinson and, and, and Kayvon. I, I think Jermaine Johnson can come away and, and probably be one of the top or one of the best out of this class, you know, when it's all said and done. Um, and I think that that formula that I put together really, really gives you um, a lot of juice for the defense. And then you, you fix the big, big hole in, um, in offense. And let's go out and see if we can win some more games in 2022. Dylan, what's your scenario for the draft with the way you put out your free agents? I don't think there should be a single Jets fan in the world that's mad at Alex's uh, scenario there for what it's worth. But um <laughs> Just to highlight, I also did interior offensive line upgrades in free agency. I did interior linebacker upgrades and edge upgrades as well. So that means that I'm not going to be taking an edge. Sorry for the people that love Kayvon Thibodeau, including myself. But I just I can't get off this Kyle Hamilton hype train. I think he mm. – I literally wrote here, my two picks are Hamilton and Sauce Gardner. I think you could flip the picks either one. Uh, maybe Sauce yep. Gardner doesn't make it to 10, so you have to pick him at four, whatever. My notes right here, I just wrote this. I said, if, if Aliens made two defensive back prospects in a lab, Ham and Sauce would be the final product. They're tall, lengthy, rangy, ball skills through the roof, run support is a plus-plus. Hamilton is super versatile. He could play single high, deep half, blitzer, slot matchup. If anybody missed it, Mina Kimes broke it down on NFL Live. If anybody's still not sure, just listen to her. She preaches it. He does it all at an elite level. It's it's not a joke. There are literally two erasers in the defense. Um, somebody mentioned his 40-yard dash time, uh, Kyle Hamilton's at 4.59 at the Combine. That dude was not running straight. He almost ran into a sensor. He was running so non-straight. And I think – you know, everybody wants to say Kyle Hamilton, you know, the next Jamal Adams, whatever. First of all, they're two completely separate players. And second of all, the only time I'll compare them is their 40 times at the combine because Jamal Adams ran a 4.56 at his combine, and nobody ever talks about Jamal Adams' play speed because at his pro day, he ran a 4.33. So I expect mm-hmm. big things from Notre Dame's pro day. Kyle Hamilton's going to improve that number markedly. It should be high four fours at worst, maybe low four fives. But I think if people are stuck on the 40 time with Hamilton, just go back and watch Florida State. He had the most rangy sideline interception I've ever seen. So, yeah, Ham and Sauce, probably my dream scenario right now in this all-defensive first round. Now, not only am I hungry, but I'm hungry to have those kind of dynamic players in my defense as well. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's a really, really exciting time because the Jets have not had a scenario where they've had, you know, two first picks like this in a very, very long time. Um, you know, Joe Douglas, I feel, is building something special. And, uh, you know, after this draft, we might really, really see how special it can be. And uh, they have a lot of opportunity to, to fix a lot of these problems that we've been talking about on this radio show and throughout the years watching this team. So, um, really, really going to be exciting as we get closer to April. Um, you know, another week in the books here, and we're getting a little bit closer. 
but yeah, you know, Dylan, this was a lot of fun. This was a good show here. Um, got to talk about a lot of different topics tonight. So, um, you know, I'm sure as things unfold um, into next week, we may have some more rumors and, you know, sizzling takes that we could share, but uh, we got it started. And, uh, you know, this was just a glimpse of a few players coming from the draft that we were talking about. And, you know, we'll have more stuff coming out. I, I know, uh, you and uh, Glenn are working on a, a lot of articles on Jet Nation that we'll be posting as well. So everybody got to keep your eyes out for the articles that will be coming from, uh, you know, Dylan and, and Glenn and some of our other guys on our writer staff. So, you know, I think saying that we're excited is an understatement of the year. Uh, but, yeah, you, we're getting uh, just a little bit closer, uh, folks. Dylan, any um, last thoughts or anything that uh, you'd like to, uh, you know, say before we call it a night? Uh, I think we did uh, over 90 minutes tonight, so a lot of good talk. Oh, yeah, this was great. I loved it. I'm fired up. We got so deep into the draft talk. It's it's the Jets' time to shine. The draft is, uh, you know, our Christmas, Christmas in April. That's that's what the Jets always say. So uh, it's, it's been great. I'm glad we're back. It's going to be here before we know it. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned it. We're going to be putting out prospect articles, jetnation.com. Glenn and I are going to be pumping them out. Him and I will be working so we don't do crossover, uh, you know, prospect profiles. But if we can get it out there, we're going to get it out there before the draft. Yeah, Glenn has been um, – he's been pulling some names that I didn't uh, – people I didn't even know existed. So, you know – he is really, really grinding the tape, um, as they would oh, say yeah. from the Draft Dudes podcast. And, uh, yeah, you got to go check out that those uh, editorials that will be coming out in the profiles. Really, really good stuff. I think it's a good time to close here. Had a lot of fun tonight. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate um, all the, the comments, the followers, the just the listens and everything that you guys do to support us here. We really do appreciate it. Um, don't forget to check out our mm-hmm. YouTube scene. And check out Green Bean. He's really been dialed up, you know, uh, collaborating with a lot of people as he tours the world. Um, he never um, hesitates to find a little bit of time to come talk a little bit about the Jets. So don't forget to follow Green Bean and check out JetNation.com. Everyone, thank you. I'm looking forward to next week's show. So stay safe. And as always, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!